0: Matthew 16 and Luke chapter 9 this morning. Matthew 16, Luke chapter 9. We are speaking these days about the second coming of Christ as it is found in the four Gospels. Second coming of Christ as found in the four Gospels. Maybe, maybe you have not heard that that baby that was born in the manger grew up, lived a perfect sinless life. Maybe you've not heard that after 33 and one half years of that perfect and sinless life, that baby, now a full grown man, went to a cross on a hill called Mount Calvary and died there to pay for your sins and for mine. Maybe you've not heard that three days and three nights later, that same man rose from the dead. Amen. Praise the Lord. And all that put their faith and trust in. Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, will be saved by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But maybe you've not heard that same man that rose from the dead just a few weeks later ascended, ascended up to heaven, sat down at the Father's right hand, and, and as, he, as he departed, as he left, this statement was made by the uh, angels that were present to the men that, that were present. When they, he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This Same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Some people in this world are still excited about and commemorate the first coming of Jesus Christ to this earth as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And we're all for that. We're all for that. But very few people have any anticipation or expectation of that same Jesus returning to this earth. But the Bible says just as surely as he came the first time, he will come the second time. Now, last week we saw that the kingdoms of this world are uh, in the possession of the forces of evil until Christ comes again, Uh, and, and then in the evening we saw that Now, there are many parables describing this time period in between the two comings when man has his way, and his way is not a righteous way and not a good way, but Jesus Christ will return and make all things uh, as they ought to be. Now, in Matthew 16 and verse number 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. First key to following the Lord is self-denial. Modern religion would have you somehow believe that following Jesus and self-love and self-serving are one and the same, but that just shows how far off the track we've gone. Four, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Don't lose that place. Uh, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Verse number 25. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever should be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Father, bless your word to our hearts this morning. Help me to make these things clear and easy to be understood and help us all to receive them. And we thank you in Jesus' name and amen. Whatever you make of his instruction to follow him and whatever you make of his rewards and whatever you make of the conditions given for earning those rewards, for our purposes this morning, Jesus Christ said in unmistakable words, As he stood upon the earth, speaking to men standing upon the earth, these are the things that will happen when I come again. There is no mysterious secret here. It is plainly stated by Jesus Christ, I will come again. There is an anticipation that all believers are entitled to based upon the words spoken by the Lord himself, that everything he intended to accomplish, he would not accomplish the first time he came, but much of what he intended to accomplish would be, would be fulfilled or finalized when he came again. This, this world is confused, as they were 2,000 years ago. They argue with you when you witness to them. You tell them, Jesus Christ died to pay for your sins, and they say, why doesn't he stop the wars? You say, Jesus Christ died so you could be saved, and they say, why are there so many hungry people in the world? What this world wants, they want the benefits of Christ's second coming while rejecting the benefits of Christ's first coming. He did not come the first time to fix the wrongs and the ills and the problems and the troubles of human society. He came the first time to pay for man's big problem, his sins. When you say, why doesn't God stop the wars? If you gained the whole world and could stop wars and weren't saved, you'd lose your soul in hell. Why doesn't Jesus stop end world hunger? If you gained the whole world and fed everyone on earth and your soul wasn't saved, you would die and go to hell. So all the arguments that people raise against Jesus Christ, pointing out, why should I trust him? He is a failure. That what they're pointing to is the fact that he has failed to give them the whole world. He has failed to give them the things they want in this world and in this life. And our answer every time is the gospel. Christ came to die for sinners and save them from their sins. And if you will trust him as your savior, you will get to live to see the fulfillment of all your hopes and dreams. And you will live to see the Lord answer all of your objections against him. He is going to end war. He is going to end hunger. He is going to wipe away all tears. He's going to fix the mess that man has made. But you'll miss it. You'll be in hell if you don't trust what he came to do the first time. Now as for these men seeing this kingdom, or seeing the Lord, uh, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, Matthew says... Or uh, seeing the kingdom of God, as Luke says. In Matthew 17 1, here is the fulfillment of that short term promise. And after six days, six days after Jesus said, Some of you will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. So he is in one figure as they view him, and while they are viewing him, he, he, he shifts, he changes, he transforms into another figure. Boys and girls are familiar with this, from cartoons and TV shows and movies, except that junk isn't real. This is the real thing. This is a man who, is, who is, is, is God manifest in the flesh and God is hidden, veiled, covered by that body of flesh. For a moment of time he is going to pull back the cover. For a moment of time he is going to let you see beyond the, the curtain of that mortal body and see him as he, as he is as he was for all eternity past and as he will be for all eternity future. He was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun. And his raiment was white as the light. Take a look in the Luke passage. We'll go back and forth between the two. Luke chapter 28. Or, or, I'm sorry, chapter 9 verse 28. If you've got Luke 28, you've got the wrong version. It came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into the mount, mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. I like that phrase. White and glistering. It's, it's, it's radiant. It's sparkling. It's flashing. It's, it's like nothing you've ever seen. But something you will see if you know the Lord as your Savior. And so uh, verse uh, 30 says, And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias. Back to Matthew, quickly. Verse number 3, 17, three, And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Now, how did Peter and James and John know that was Moses and Elias? Because when they came in on the table were little tags And said, hello, my name is. And with a magic marker, Moses wrote Moses. And with a magic marker, Elijah wrote Elijah. I don't know how they knew. Maybe, would, would you think more went on here than what God chose to record? Maybe, who are you? I'm Moses. Who are you? I'm Elijah. Well, that settled that. That wasn't too hard, was it? Some of you came in this morning, I've never met you before, and we did the same thing. I said, hi, I'm I'm, I'm James Knox, and you told me your name, and we should have given you a little name tag, because I I forget names so quickly. But here they are. There's six people on this mountain. One of them is known to all Hebrew people as the lawgiver, Moses the lawgiver. And one of them is known to all the Hebrew people as the prophet, Elijah the prophet. The two two most outstanding representatives of the two most outstanding characteristics of the nation's history, Moses and Elijah are standing there on that mountain. But guess what? Moses is not shining like the sun. Elijah's raiment is not white and glistering. And Peter, James, and John have not been transfigured. As great as that man was who gave the law, he's not as great as this one. As great as that man was who established the prophetic ministry, he's not as great as this one. As great as Peter, James, and John might turn out to be, there's one man on that mountain that matters. Take a look in verse number 4. The Bible says, Then answered Peter and said unto, unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. <clears throat> okay, Peter, I, 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 I get that Moses is really important and I get that Elijah is really important and I, I get that Jesus is really important, but Peter explained to us why it's a good thing you're there. <laughs> we sure do have a way of thrusting ourselves into the forefront don't we yeah. here is here's the lord of glory transfigured so that you can see him in his glory and peter says and me <laughs> i'm here <laughs> don't anybody miss it <laughs> over here <laughs> oh it's amazing isn't it look, look look what jesus just said in in 1624 then said Jesus unto his disciples, "If any man will come after me, let him deny himself." 17:4. then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, "Lord, it is good for us to be here. The first thing Jesus said you need to do is the exact opposite of the first thing that comes out of Peter's mouth. And I don't want to get off track because we're talking about the second coming here this morning. But isn't it amazing that we come in here and we have hundreds of hymns in our book about the resurrected Jesus Christ and we have 66 books in our Bible to preach from about the resurrected Jesus Christ and someone uh, invariably leaves unhappy that they didn't get enough attention. Let us know when any of us does something worthy of having a hymn written about us and put in that songbook. Let us know when we get to the place where the Sunday morning sermon ought to be about our exploits. Peter says, and me, and me, and how hard is it for us to come to church and sing the hymns and hear the sermon and listen to the specials and pray the prayers and not say, and me, me. We better get back to the message. That's not a happy topic there. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. That's a very nice thing to say. This will become a, a shrine. This will become a tourist attraction. People will find out what happened here? I mean, you've got to admit, this is pretty fascinating. Moses been gone for centuries, and he's back and alive. Elijah was caught up in that chariot of fire to heaven, and he's back, and he's alive. And here's Jesus, and, and whatever's happening with him, it's pretty fantastic. I can't even look in that direction. He's, he's shining like the noonday sun. Let's build three big monuments here so people can travel up this mountain and remember what happened here. I and mean, he's not completely out of line. He's, he's, he's excited and he, he wants everybody to know what happened here. But he's missing something. Verse 5. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Moses gave you five books of the law, which are the foundation for your whole Bible. And the father speaks from heaven and says, I know Moses is here, but I want you to hear my son. Elijah is the one that set the tone for calling the nation back to God and back to the law out of their times of disobedience. And Elijah is standing right there and God the Father says, I don't want you to listen to him. I want you to hear my son. On that mountain, Jesus Christ is revealed as being superior to the law, to the prophets, and to the apostles. And on that mountain, God the Father says, if you got a choice between something I gave Moses and something I gave Elijah and something I gave through Jesus Christ, you go with Jesus every time. Hear Him. He is the superior one on this mountain, according to God the Father. Verse 6, and when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise. Be, and be not afraid, and when they lifted up their eyes they saw no man save Jesus only. Now this is really great because it doesn't just say that they didn't see Moses. It doesn't just say they no longer saw Elijah. It said they saw no man. Peter goes up on that mountain, And the Lord is transfigured and Moses appears and Elijah appears and Peter says, and it's a good thing I'm here. But on the way back down that mountain, Peter no longer sees Peter. And John no longer sees John. And James no longer sees James. They've all got their eyes where their eyes are supposed to be. They see Jesus only. Now today, today. Are you a law keeper? Are you a prophet follower? Are you a devotee of one apostle or another? Or have you beheld the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior of sinners, and said, Why would I look to any man when the Son of God has been manifest in his glory? We thank the Lord for pastors and preachers and teachers and Sunday school teachers and soul winners and personal workers and, and those that minister and labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we thank God for all of our, our fellow laborers in the gospel. You want a Savior? You better look to Jesus. You want hope? You better look to Jesus. You want joy and peace? You better look to Jesus. As long as your eyes are on man, you're missing the glory. As soon as you get your eyes on the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, you'll find the place where God has placed His glory. Now, come back to Luke chapter 9. Back to Luke chapter 9. We'll get some details here that we, we don't have in the Matthew passage. I, I'm going to skip a verse and we'll come back to it. Verse number 29 And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias. Verse 32, But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory, and the two men that stood with him. That's pretty amazing. Jesus Christ is transfigured. He is shining with the brightness of the the high sky sun. And these men just doze off because the prayer time got a little boring and they fell asleep. And Moses is there, they're snoring away. Elijah is there and they're dreaming sweet dreams. And they wake up, and there's the lawgiver, and there's the prophet, and there's Christ in His Majesty. Isn't it amazing what we've likely slept through in our lives of the revelation and manifestation of the glory of God? I wonder what I've missed that was right in front of me. I wonder what I could have beheld if I'd just been more attentive. That's not our topic for this morning. The Bible says in verse 33, and it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. No, that's fascinating. But if Jesus Christ is standing there on that mountain, and he's shining, and Moses is standing there on the mountain, and he's not shining, and Elijah's standing there on the mountain, and he's not shining, is, is that enough to just build one tabernacle and not three? There's five men there with Jesus, and if none of their garments are glistering, is that enough to set this great teacher above a lawgiver, a prophet, and some apostles? Let, let me step back and just be religious for a moment and not believe the Bible. Let me step back for a moment and just be you know, an admirer of, of good men, Instead of a believer in the Word of God, why wouldn't we just line them up? Moses, Elijah, Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha in there somewhere, Confucius. Why wouldn't we just? just build tabernacles all over the world and say you worship whoever does something for you and you worship whoever gets you excited and you worship whoever blessed your heart and you worship whoever helped your mother out of a jam and why why don't we just place them all on the mountaintop together as a collection of religious heroes. Because of the verse I passed over. Verse 31 These men appeared in glory and spake of his decease which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Peter, here's why we're not going to build a monument to you. Your death will pay for no one's sins. James and John, here's why we will not build a dual marker for you. Because your death will pay for no one's sins. And Moses, uh, for all that you did for God, not one person was redeemed because of your noble leadership. And Elijah, for all of your great preaching and the miracles that you wrought, not one soul had their transgressions paid for by your powerful works and your great preaching. But there is one man standing here on this mountain who is going to climb another mountain called Calvary and he's going to lay down his life on a cross and he's going to shed his blood and that blood will cleanse all sins of all sinners who will trust him for all time. And how do you put anyone else on an equal footing? with the one and the only one whose death could pay for sins and whose resurrection could secure their everlasting life. If all we're looking for is men to give laws and commandments, put Moses right there with Jesus. If all we're looking for is someone to preach great sermons and, and work miracles, then you just pick your favorite and put him right there with Jesus. But if you're a sinner looking to have your sins forgiven so you can stand justified before a holy God and escape the wrath to come and enter the joy of the Lord for all eternity, there's no one else but Jesus. This is my beloved Son and on the basis of the death that He shall accomplish at Jerusalem, He's the only one. I would advise you To look to, to listen to, to follow. Jesus saves. I've heard a lot of great things said about Moses. I've never heard anyone say Moses saves. I've heard a lot of wonderful things said about Elijah. I've never heard anyone say Elijah saves. Even those who claim Peter to be their rock never say Peter saves. You like John, you like James, you just pick any religious person you want. No one, no one is standing on a street corner holding a sign, no one is lifting up their voice outside an arena saying, Mohammed saves, Confucius saves, Buddha saves, Joe Smith saves, Watchtowers save, talk to every one of them and they'll say, I'm not saved yet, you can't be saved yet, you can't know you're saved, how could you know you're saved? But everyone who's ever put their faith and trust in this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, says without hesitation, I'm saved. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Because Jesus saves. Praise the Lord. Well, that's a great truth, but we're supposed to be talking about the second coming of Christ. He's standing on the earth. The Apostles are with him. The lawgiver is with him. The prophet is with him. He is manifesting. He is showing forth the glory that he had with the Father before the world began. But he's not showing that radiant light of glory in heaven. He's showing it standing here up upon the earth. Look in your Bible in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. And just for a moment, we'll see that perhaps it was good that Peter was there. 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to read a goodly portion of this. Verse number 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, Through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What did we learn over months and months and months and months in Romans 3 and Romans 4 and Romans 5? You'll never get to heaven on your righteousness. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, His righteousness imputed to your account. That's exactly what Peter says in the first two verses here, just as Paul wrote it in the book of Romans. According as... His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So, what has He given us? Everything you need. Everything you need. Verse 4. Look at the end of the verse. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Verse number, verse number 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So look what he said. If you'll put your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, God will credit you with Christ's righteousness, praise the Lord, which will deliver you from that corrupt former life, so that he may usher you into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Verse number 12. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Moreover, I I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. You know what he said? He said, I know you know this. I know you've heard this. I've told you this. It's written down, but I'm going to tell you, I'm about to die. I'm about to die. And there's one thing I want you to remember and never forget. We put a lot of stock in people's last words. Verse 16. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now stop, stop. Look, look, look up. It's an established fact with 500 eyewitness testimonies that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It is an established fact, thousands of witnesses, both Jew and Gentile alike would not deny, that Jesus Christ died upon a cross. So when we tell you... Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again according to Scripture. We have abundant eyewitness testimony reduced to writing that will stand up in any legitimate court anywhere, anywhere. So he's not talking about the fable of the crucifixion. That's an established fact. He's not talking about the fable of the resurrection. It's an established fact. But there were people suggesting something else was a cunningly devised fable. And the Holy Spirit said here, what they consider a cunningly devised fable is the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. you, you You may not know this. If you were saved in a a Bible-believing church, you may not know this if you've spent your Christian life in a Bible-teaching church. The majority of people today who are sitting in a quote-unquote Christian church are sitting in a church that does not believe Jesus Christ will ever come again. Almost every mainline denomination denies the literal second coming of Jesus Christ well if the Bible teaches it and they don't believe it then they have determined it is a fable their position is it's a fable they 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 just think it's some something somebody made up that this man who lives in the north will come again and bring his reward with him they they think it's just a, a fairy tale it's it's a kid's story So let's read the verse again from the start. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. You know what you have? You have eyewitness testimony that a king of kings and a lord of lords was standing on this earth and would return again. Now let me tell you something. You know why why Herod didn't know which baby to kill? Because Mary's baby wasn't shining like the sun. You know why John the Baptist couldn't pick him out of the crowd standing along the Jordan River? Because he wasn't radiant. Do you know why the, the multitudes debated and argued about whether or not Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be? Because his garments were not glistering. You understand? If there's 50 people standing in a group and Jesus is one of them, he's just one of them. No halo, no no aura, no, none of that. Except one day, one day, On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter said, We saw that man in the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son. And we saw him standing on this earth as the superior being to even God's lawgiver and God's prophet. We saw it with our eyes. Verse 17 he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. So here's what we have in Matthew and in Luke. While Jesus Christ is spending Those 30 years living as a man, being in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Inside, inside, he is the Lord of glory. And while Jesus Christ is ministering those three and a half years meek and lowly and humble, inside, he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And when Jesus Christ goes to that cross and lets men spit on him and bruise him and beat him and crown him with thorns and nail him to that cross inside he could call 12 legions of angels and at his command they could deliver him and destroy the human race. But he never, he never, never, never did anything that would violate the purpose of his first coming to die as a man for men. Except in this one hour, he said, now boys, wake up, wake up, wake up. I'll show you something here. Peter rubs the sleep from his eyes. And John shakes his head. and James says, I want to sleep, I want to sleep just meditating. <laughs> and Jesus Christ just pulled back the veil. So you get one good look at this, guys. Because when I come back, every eye shall see me. Amen. When I come back, everyone will behold me. You won't be able to miss this. Yes. And then that cloud came. And they covered him back up. And he went to Jerusalem and let fools spit in his face. And died for sinners. But you know what? One of these days, the heavens will open. And that light, brighter than the noonday sun, is gonna come down here riding on a white horse. And this same Jesus shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. And Peter said, we were eyewitnesses. We saw the kingdom in advance. Not for long. Not for long. We saw it. It it didn't stay because that wasn't what he intended to do the first time around. But we saw what he can do. And Moses just had to step aside. And Elijah just had to step aside. And the Apostles just had to step aside. One day, one day, God the Father will declare, not to five men on a mountain in private, but to all men everywhere, this is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Hear Him. Now I must say, And we'd have a much larger congregation if I didn't say what I must say. If you're new, if you're visiting, you're looking. You're looking and you're saying, I'm not seeing what I expected to see. But after you've seen the Lord in his glory, it's just hard to get excited about elves and candy canes and snowmen. I was in a store, they got an angel, now you can put on top of the tree and it goes around in a circle. In ten minutes it might be cool, but that probably isn't going to hold up. Something for the cat to climb up here and go after. (laughs) We are not opposed to fables just because we got a problem with fables they're just so insignificant compared to what we have in Jesus Christ that we just can't bring ourselves to build tabernacles for other men or other things or other beliefs or other idols one will do one will do the one to the man who died for our sins, and the one for the man who's coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords. And when we finished praising Him, and when we finished worshiping Him, and when we have exhausted all of the joy that we can wring out of our hearts, maybe we'll look for somebody else. But I doubt it. I doubt it. You know when those men came down off that mountain... I don't think they ever said to each other, too bad I really like Moses better. (laughs) You know I I had my money on Elijah, I I thought he was going to be the, no. You take a peek into heaven, everybody there is around one throne. Everybody there is singing the praises of one person, Jesus Christ. You don't like the way things are going in this old world? Don't blame God. He's not finished yet. He came the first time to fix you. He'll come the second time to fix what we've done. Trust him. Trust him. Our Father, help us, Lord. Help us to see your son as he was seen. For that brief moment, one day on that mountain, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, help us, God, not to lose sight of that vision and start building our other vain tabernacles. Help us to realize there's one and only one that deserves all the worship and all the glory. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.